I look at two Psalms this, this morning, Psalms 100 and Psalms 23. Everybody say, shout! Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledging the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Shout praise. praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is, shout good. good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Then Psalms 23, David is writing, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me besides the still waters. Restores my soul. Everybody shout, restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God, we ask that your spirit would just rest upon us, work supernaturally and naturally, both those are here and those who are listening by podcast and video, work miracles, healing and strength and transformation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I love this psalm. This is a processional psalm. It was written uh, to be uh, read and acted out as the people of God, the Jewish community, would enter into the temple in the context of worship. It begins with that wonderful word, shout. Everybody, Everybody say shout. Shout for joy, the psalmist says. And the first point I want to make is your shout as a believer is incredibly important. I remember growing up in Cushada, the church I grew up in was called Zion Chapel Baptist Church. And in that day, we'd have a full service like this, worship gathering, once a month. So we were called a first Sunday church. So every first Sunday we'd have a full worship. Second, third, and fourth Sunday of the month we'd have Sunday school, but then you could visit other churches during that context. And I especially remember a lady that we call Sister Sally. Everybody shout Sister Sally. Sister Sally was unique, and for somebody growing up five, six, seven years old, she was one of my favorite folks. To watch in worship. I didn't know a lot about worship, but I love Sister Sally. Because when we got to a certain point in the worship service, sometimes it was when the choir would be uh, singing one of those powerful gospel songs and they've gotten into the, into the very passion of it. Or it's when the pastor has hit, you know, some powerful, eloquent, practical note. You see Sister Sally, she starts moving on a bench. And then a few seconds before long, she would just explode. Somebody say, shout! 
she'd start shouting all over the place, and she'd be, you know, in, in our language, clearly the, the Spirit of God was falling upon her, and she'd, she'd start shouting, and sometimes the pew would rock, and, and, and on other cases it might turn over, and, and, and she was dancing and celebrating, and, and the ushers, I remember, they'd form a circle around her. Come on now. And, uh, and some of y'all remember those experiences. It's unique in the African-American tradition. Somebody say shout. shout. She had a shout, y'all. And uh, I was six, seven years old. That was a highlight of worship for me. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting on Sister Sally to shout. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you come out of the Pentecostal tradition or the holiness tradition or whatever the ethnicity of the church is, you're familiar with shouting. People celebrating and, and throwing their hands up, sometimes running the aisles, etc., etc., all uh, in the context of God's spirit, and they're celebrating their lives. It's very biblical. David, the one who's writing this uh, psalm, shaping the Jewish people, is known for his own shout. The Bible tells us that when David was leading a procession and bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem that uh, he came so full of joy, so full of thanksgiving for God that he started dancing and shouting. Ultimately, he danced and shouted out of his clothes. That's what the scripture says. And tell the person next to you, uh, don't be afraid to shout. Just keep your clothes on. Tell them, keep your clothes on. And uh, Sister Sally was a shouter. Now, you know, here we don't do a lot of turning over chairs and running the aisles and all of that. Uh, and I want to suggest, uh, let me just say here that on the other hand, I hope this is not a place where God is moving on your heart and you're sitting on your shout. Sometimes we, there's nothing like being able to just give God praise without worrying about who's watching you and what other folk going to say. But many of us come out of different cultures and out of different places, and, and yet I believe, tell somebody next to you, your shout's important, your shout's important. Uh, that, that while we come out of different contexts as people of faith, uh, I, I want to argue today that that, that many of you, you, you bring your shout here. It, 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 it looks different. It doesn't look like Sister Sally's shout. You've got your own shout expression, but I, I, I see it. I watch out there. I, 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 for some of you, your shout is a twinkle in your eye. And as the praise team is singing, or, or I hear a note in the teaching, and that twinkle gets brighter and brighter and brighter. For others, uh, your shout is you're just sitting quietly patting your feet. And for others, uh, the, the shout is you're, you're not only patting your feet, but you start rocking. Mm -hmm. Tell somebody next to you, yeah, you got to shout. You got to shout. Tell them. 
Uh, for others, for others, it's the smile that shows up on your face. And, and as the message begins to unfold, that smile gets wider and wider and wider. And for still others, that hand goes up in the air and you just, you're just in your own quiet way. You just raise your hand. When I was growing up, people every now and then, they would just stand up and just, 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 just wave their hands in the air. Praise Lord. For, 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 for others, it's a, it's a shout. Praise God. Uh, an amen that's well-timed. Uh, 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 it looks differently, but, but, but I want to tell you that as I look out, I can see your shouts. Yeah, I can see you shouting all over the place. <laughs> your shout's important. Tell the person next to you, your shout's important. Your shout's important. Your shout's important. Sister Sally had a powerful shout. And then one week... A horrendous tragedy occurred. Her son, who was 30 years old, unexpectedly lost his life. Funeral service was over. Sister Sally returned to Zion Chapel Baptist Church. She sat in the same space that she always would sit. She didn't shout anymore. Weeks went by, she didn't shout. Months went by, she didn't shout. A year came and went, and while she was there every first Sunday, Sister Sally didn't shout. I was a little boy, six, seven, eight, growing, and I remember asking myself, Saying to my grandmom, when is Sister Sally going to shout again? I remember wondering, is Sister Sally ever going to shout again? You know, worship gotten boring because <laughs> Sister Sally was not shouting. Wasn't, wasn't the same place without a shout. You know, I, I, I lift this today because I, I, I know haven't been the pastor of this congregation and I've got, we've got people here going through all kinds of stuff and there are some of you here you used to have a shout but the twinkle has left your eye the smile is no longer on your face you no longer raise your hand you're here and I just want to say to you I'm glad you're here because it's incredibly important just to be. Your, your being here is a statement of faith. Come on. Now. When we look at this text, we learn that our shout comes from three places. David is talking to the Israelites and he's saying to them, when you go into this place of worship, he says, and actually he's, he spans it to all the earth, all the lands. Another translation says, said, man, if you really know about God, uh, ultimately he calls us all to have a shout. And the first thing he says, he teaches us is that our shout comes from a place of joy. Everybody shout joy. Notice the first three verses, uh, first two verses, joy shows up. Three times in two verses. Look at what it says. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord. There's another word for joy. Gladness. Come before him singing with, hear it again, joy. And in verse 4, 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his holy name. Everybody shout joy. So David says that I shout ought to come out of a place of joy. Now when he says joy, he's not merely talking about happiness. And happiness is important. But he's talking about, uh, 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 you know, it's possible for you to lose your happiness and still have joy. You know, you can, you can go to work on Monday, tomorrow, and your boss looks at you funny and says the wrong thing, and you lose your happiness, but you can still have some joy. Come on now. Uh, uh, so, but joy in this text comes really from a place of certainty with God. Everybody shout certainty. What David is saying is that you may wake up in the storms uh, of life, rocking you from right and left, but ultimately he invites us to have this place of certainty. And notice how it shows up in the text. In verse 3, he says, he says, no, everybody shout no. no, that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. So the first thing he says that we ought to know is that God exists. Number two is that we are known to God. Number three, that we matter to God. Come on, everybody shout no. It's a certainty, certainty. And then look at verse five. He says, for the Lord is what? Good. He argues that I, I shout ought to come from a place of knowing that God is ultimately good. Yes, there's evil in the world. Yes, there's horrible things that happen in the world. And yet in the midst of all of that, God remains good. We say here often, uh, uh, God is good all the time and all the time. What? That means on the mountain he's good. When we're in the valley, God is still good. And David is saying that that certainty of God's goodness uh, ought, to, ought, to, ought to define our shout. And then he says, for his love endures forever. What David says is that we have to be reminded that, that no matter what goes wrong or right in our lives, at the end of the day, God unconditionally loves us, period. Come on now. And his love will endure forever and ever and ever. Tell, tell the person next to you, God loves you. God loves you. No matter what. What David is saying is that one of the places that I shout ought to come from is a place of joy. And that place of joy is really about a certainty in God. And secondly, according to this psalmist, uh, David suggests that another place that I would shout ought to come from is a place of hope. Hope has to do with this capacity to expect from God. Look at what he says in the end of verse 5. He, he says, he says, he says, surely the, uh, the Lord is, is good. His love endures forever. Here it is. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Shout faithful. And what David is saying is that even when you're going through a tough time, you want to, you want to, you want to have the disposition of heart that says that I know God is faithful. And that shapes your hope. And it shapes your expectation that I know that God has the first word and that God will have the last word. And if God is good, come on now, his first word will be good and his last word will be good. Somebody shout faithfulness. But then there's a third place. This speaks to Sister Sally. The psalm as a whole suggests that I shout 
really comes out of a whole, W-H-O-L-E, soul. Say it with me. Say a whole soul. It suggests that, that when our, you know, that soul, that, that intangible part of us, that eternal uh, 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 part of our being, the soul, that, that part that is beyond our organs that are invisible, but every, but very much a part of who we are, the, the soul. What David says is that it's when the soul is intact. We can shout from a place of joy and certainty and expectation. Come on now. Regardless of the challenges that are going around us. Now, uh, 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 Miss Sister Sally, it wasn't that she wasn't familiar with pain. Uh, she, she knew pain. She had been married for a couple of decades and she had had some struggles with, in, her, in her marriage. She, 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 she knew the pain of struggling in her marriage and yet because her soul was intact, she was still able to shout. Uh, she knew financial trouble. She had kind of adjusted to the financial challenges of her life and yet she was still able to sit on that pew and shout because she still had great expectations of God's faithfulness. She understood what it was like to have arthritis in her body and pain coming out, and yet it could not keep her on the pew. She would rise and shout because uh, uh, she still had this amazing certainty of God and this great expectation. She had a whole soul. But how many of you know, and if it hasn't happened yet, I promise you, if you keep living, it will. Life will inevitably throw each of us a tragedy that will tear a hole in our whole soul. Do you ever notice the word hole, W-H-O-L-E? Do you ever know if you drop the W, you have just, just what? Life has a way of, of throwing the tragedy. And for Sister Sally, the loss of her, of her son, who is 30 years old, unexpectedly, it literally ripped a hole in her soul. And, and if you can see a, a, a soul that has a hole, you, you know, it doesn't bleed. But, but if, it, if it bled, you would, you know, for many of us, if you know the experience, it's, you, you'd feel like you're bleeding to death. But, but since you, you can't, the soul doesn't bleed, it just hurt. And so at the end of the day, you feel like you're hurting to death. Does anybody in here knows what it's like to have a hole in your soul? And it's that hole in the soul that, that causes your is where your shout leaks out. It, it, it shakes the certainty that you had about God. It confuses the expectation. And I just want to just say with you guys, I've been pastoring for over 30 years. I've walked with people through all kinds of seasons of life. And I've said it before. And I'll just say it again that, 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 that you, going from one level of faith to the next, you've got to work through doubt. And we all wake up in one day or another with some real questions about God's certainty and God's expectation. And, and for Sister Sally, you you know, it didn't rob her fully of it, but it sure did shake it. Shook it. To her credit, she stayed engaged with God. She kept coming, but she didn't have a shout. I, I want to say to somebody today, 
If you're here without a shout, that's okay. I, I would think that, you know, one way of translating this psalm, David says, make a joyful noise. And, and I'd just like to suggest that for some folk, and certainly for Sister Sally, her showing up in worship, it, it really did sound like a joyful noise. Not in a positive way that, 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 that David meant it, and not in an offensive way. It just meant for her that she heard the singing, and she knew there was joy in the room. She just couldn't enter into it because there was a hole in her soul. So what do you do when life tragedy rips a hole in your soul? How does, how does it look like to walk with God as life tragedy rips a hole in your soul? Oh, what good questions you ask. And, 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 and I, I get a little clue because in, 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 in the Psalms, David, Psalms 100 verse 3, he says, we are the sheep of his pastor. And, 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 and it, it, if you're reading it, it should remind you a little bit of Psalms 23. Come on now. Uh, where, 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 where the same one is writing, for the Lord is my what? All right, let me talk about that a minute. Uh, it, 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 embedded in this text is some help for us as we're struggling with the, when life rips a hole in us. Uh, first thing I want to point out is that this psalm used to be used by the early church when people were being baptized. Uh, because we baptized, you know what? They told me today we're baptizing at 2 o'clock at Trinity Church. 13 people. Isn't that amazing? Celebrate that. And in the early church, when somebody got ready to be baptized, they would read this psalm. You remember how the psalm starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. They wanted to remind you of that. Why? Because the psalm goes and says that at some point you're going to walk through some valleys in the shadow of death, right? And at some other point you're going to wake up and you're going to be surrounded by enemies. Come on now. And, and, and you just need to know this is, what, this is why they would use it at baptism. They wanted you to have a reality check that when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus, that does not give you a pass on life's tragedies because at the end of the day, we all live in the same broken life. Come on now. And the brokenness of life comes and undercuts us at unexpected moments. So there there will be moments when we will wake up in the valley of the shadow of death. There'll be other moments when we wake up surrounded by enemies external and internally. But they wanted you to know that when you sign up to follow Jesus, come on now, he lays a claim to your life and that wherever you are, come on now, he's right there with you. The Lord is mine. Shepherd. Shall not want, most folks. I don't think that's about material because I know too many believers who don't have enough money. Some of them on the streets, homeless. I shall not want. It means, I think that what David is saying is that, that God has a way of fortifying our souls as we walk with him. That when we walk into trouble, that we can kind of say like Paul, I can do all things through Christ 
I can get through this through Christ who strengthens me. My gosh. So what is the first thing that one has to do? Uh, the second thing that comes to mind, everybody shout reach. The second image that comes to mind is I think about this, the Lord is my shepherd. When I grew up, I used to see different portraits of the Jesus and the shepherd. One portrait I saw regularly in my church was behind the pulpit was that Jesus was surrounded by the sheep. He's in the middle and had this crook thing. That was one. Another portrait that I ran across, and I found a, a good picture of this, is where Jesus is surrounded by, he's in the middle of the sheep, but he's carrying one. Everybody shall carry. He's carrying one. And, and there's another picture of that where, where he's actually not carrying, he's got the sheep on his shoulder. And I, I just love this. this you know, the picture of the portrait is saying, is saying the Lord is my shepherd. Is that, and, and what he's suggesting is that there will come times in your life and my life when we're going to need, come on now, we can't really follow him because there's a hole in our soul. We're going to need him to carry us. Tell somebody next to you, Jesus will carry you. He'll carry you. I love that. I love that. But then there's another image. And, and it really gets us to the heart of, the, of this first three verses. Is the image of Jesus having the sheep. I couldn't find it because I was going to put it up there. But he's got the sheep and the leg of the sheep has been bandaged. It's as though the sheep broke his or her leg. And Jesus set it, set the broken leg. And I said, oh, my God, that's the, that's the image I want to talk, shit, leave on your mind, this notion of Jesus setting what's broken. Listen, 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 listen. You know that if you ever break a leg and you don't set it right, you could end up crippled for life. On the other hand, you also know that when you set that leg, it's not healed the moment you set it. But healing starts with the setting. Y'all listening to me. And when they set it, come on now, you're still going to need a crutch. And you're still going to limp. Come on now. Uh, 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 but, 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 but by and by, if they said it right, come on now, you will wake up one day able to walk without the crutch. <laughs> by and by. Shout, by and by. And I thought, wow, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Because when life rips a hole in your soul, sometimes the best we can do is ask Jesus to reset our souls. Stop reset my soul. Reset. And healing occurs over a period of time. I told you, Miss Sally, she didn't shout for weeks, for months, for a year. It takes time for God to heal the whole. But he can reset it with a kind of, when we get to this position of faith. Now, everybody shout reach. Or 
the fact that he's my shepherd suggests that, that I want to reach towards God when I'm dealing with the hole in my soul. I want to reach towards God and reach towards others. That is not the time to turn away from others, and it is not the time to turn away from God. And yet I want to acknowledge here that reaching towards God when there's a hole in your soul is sometimes the most difficult thing to do. For, other, for some of us, it's the last thing we want to do. One of my favorite stories is, uh, is Mary and Martha in chapter 11 of John, the Gospel of John. And some of you may know the story. Their brother's named Lazarus. And the story starts off by talking about how much Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. And so they sent a note to Jesus, several notes. The one you love is dying. Come work a miracle and heal him. They get no answer from Jesus. Lazarus dies. Four days after Lazarus has been buried, Jesus comes into town. Martha says to her sister, uh, the master is coming. And the text says, Martha went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Everybody shout, Mary stayed at home. I love this, God. I, I, I love this because I, you see, sometimes in our lives we're Martha and sometimes we're Mary. And, and if you just have to live, if you've ever had a, a ripped hole in your soul and I've, I, I, I've been there, I get where Mary's coming from. Because Mary was like, you going to show up now? I called you multiple times. You didn't even send an email. Come on now. And, and, and you going to wait till he die and buried. And now you're going to come to town. What Mary's disposition was saying is, I don't want to see you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want nothing. You have, in a sense, participated in the breaking of my heart. Honesty. You see, when you reach for God, as I'm sure Sister Sally did as she was at home, you've got to reach out of a place of honesty. You, you, when you're working through a hole in your soul, you've you got to cry it out, man. You've you got to go through weeks and months of crying. And, 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 and so for some of us, we have to write it out. And for some of the rest of us, we've got to walk and cry and walk and talk. And, and we just got to let Jesus know exactly how we feel. I told you last week, if you're disappointed, tell him. If you're angry, tell him. Just, just, just. He doesn't have any ego issues. Come on now. He welcomes our honesty. Mary stayed at home, and then Martha sent her a message, came back, and she said to Mary, watch it, the master is calling, and out of respect, Mary ran to him, but the text says that Mary threw herself on the ground, and she's screaming, and she's crying, and she's saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what I'm talking about. That's what you got to do. And then, then the text says, when Jesus looks at them and he sees the weeping, watch this. Then it says, and Jesus wept. Oh, you want an image that will help you draw near to the Jesus who is your shepherd when you're hurting and you've got a ripped soul. I just want you to keep the one that died on Calvary's cross that got up on the other side with all authority of heaven and earth in his hand who knows what it's like to be in the darkest places of life. That one sees you with a hole in your soul and as you weep, he weeps with you. 
said with me, Jesus wept. Run to that one. Let his weeping draw you. And then secondly, notice the text, it says, it says, um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Say it loud. Say, say it with me. Say, he makes me lie down. Do you know that when you get really sick and the doctor puts you in the hospital, one of the reasons she or he puts you in the hospital is to make you what? Lie down. Because as long as you're running all about, the energy that you need to feed the healing is being dispersed. And there are some pain and there are some diseases and there are some brokenness that is so deep that you, you need all of your energies to focus on the healing process. And so when it says, he makes me lie down, that's David talking about how, how Jesus resets us and that, that he, he brings us to a place, lie down on green pastures that, 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 that he's basically saying, slow down, slow your roll. Come on, tell the person next to you, slow your roll. Slow your roll, slow your roll. You know, Sister Sally, she would keep, she'd come back every first Sunday, she'd sit on that pew. She used to be on the ushers, uh, we, we call them hosts here, but during that year, you know, she didn't usher. She, she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't serve. She didn't do anything. She just sat right there on that pew. And, and, and this is a wonderful place for me to speak to a lot of my volunteers, some of whom are going through some really difficult times in your life. And, and out of a place of guilt, you come and say, no, I have to serve. I have to serve. Let, I want to say this loud and clear to you today. If you're going through a tough season and there's a hole in your soul, I want you to understand it's all right for you to sit down. And let us serve you. Uh, you have to, in this season of rest, you have to give out, you have to pour out less and take in more. Because you don't really have a lot to give. So you got to shrink your schedule and, 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 and allow space for people to love you and for God to facilitate the healing. It ain't going to happen in a week or a month. Everybody shout, it will take time. It will take time. So rest. Thirdly, there's reflection. He leads me besides the still waters. Have you ever walked beside beautiful still water? Doesn't that just put you in a reflective mood? And what David is saying is that part of how Jesus, God resets our soul is that there has to be a space where we, are, we kind of work through it with him, right? And work through it with other people. Sometimes, sometimes it's the blessing of a therapist or a pastor or a group of friends or all of the above. But, but, but at the end of the day, God is at work working us through it. And I always say there's three stages of questions you've got to get through in order to, as you walk beside the still waters. The first is, you, 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 you're going to process, you're going to work through actually what happened. 
I know Sister Sally was probably running through her mind, you know, what they told her about what happened, how the car went off the road and all that and how long. I'm sure that for a thousand times she, she just kind of worked it through her mind and all of the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But then ultimately she had to come to a place where she had to conclude that at the end of the day there are just some things beyond my power. Tell the neighbor next to you, there's some things you just can't affect. There's, there's some things that, that no matter how much you want to make a difference, you just can't. You got you to gotta come to a place where you own your powerlessness. And then you move to the next phase, which is the why. Everybody shout, why? Why, why? And inevitably, we ask this question. Jesus gives us permission to ask the question, why? When he says, uh, my God, my God, as he dies from the cross, why hast thou forsaken? He's quoting scripture, y'all. And so he's saying, it's all right. He invites us to ask the why. But just understand that as you ask the why, just know, come on now, that on this side of eternity, there are some answers that you just won't get. Let me tell you, well, here, here, when we ask the why, here's what we're trying to do. It's natural. We're, 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 we're trying to find an explanation in the midst of the unexplainable. We're, we're trying to make sense out of insanity. We're trying to find logic in the midst of that that actually has no logic. And yet one of my favorite texts is at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, for now we... We prophesy in part, we see in part, we know in part. Everybody shout, now. And then he says, but then, everybody shout, then. When that which is perfect has come, he's talking about Jesus, y'all, that, that on the other side of eternity, when we stand before him, he said, then we will know even as we are known. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He said, when I, I thought that when I got before Jesus, I was going to have a long list of questions. He said, but I had a revelation. And the revelation was that when I stand before the revelation, which is Jesus. Come on now. Uh, I won't be asking why or how. I'll be saying, oh, I see. <laughs> wow. So then you have to come to terms with the fact that there are some questions that I won't get answered till I see him. You got to find your peace with that. And then lastly, you got to move into the final stage, which is I call the now what stage. Now what? I couldn't change it. Now what? I don't know the answers to the why. But now what? Do, do, do I just give up and die? Now what? What do I do with this pain that I'm carrying? Does, do, I, do I allow God to help me to turn it into uh, a motivation that I become just a little bit more love in the world. Now what? Come on, everybody shout, now what? Edwina Samuel. As, uh, I talked to her the other day. About 18 years ago. Maybe 15. She's one of my members in Roxbury. Had eight kids. Raised them all in the church. Loved Jesus. One of her daughters got adopted, murdered, and then the murderer set the, little, the girl's body on fire in a public park. Can somebody say a hole in your soul? 
And sometimes it's not just what happens to you, it's what happens to people that you know and you love, y'all. That leaves a hole. And I went to see Edwina and she, she was asking me, how, where was God? How? And I said to her, I, I, I don't have the answers for those questions. See, see I, I, I tell my team here, don't make up answers that you don't have. Faith is about believing in the midst of her. I said to her, I said, the only thing I know is that crucifixion means that Jesus reminds us that he's with us in the most horrible moments of life. And every crucifixion, the crucifixion ultimately gives way to resurrection, which means that this one that we know in Jesus, he has the first word that creation was born from his word. And he will have the last word, not death, not pain, but Jesus and love and victory. And I told you, you got to lean into that with your unanswered and painful questions. Well, I talked to Edwina. She did everything that I, I just told you had to do. She reached towards God. She didn't stop coming. She helped come to church. Oh, she lost her shout for a while. Oh, she did. It was about three years as God healed her. See, tell your neighbor, God will heal you. And it's never, by the way, 100%. You'll, you'll always carry a little limp, y'all. But he'll heal you enough to keep it. And, and three years later, she moves to Atlanta. She joins the church. God sends her a husband. She's in her 50s, y'all, at that time. And, and she gets married. She lived, moves in the big house. I mean, her life just turns red. Before she knows, she didn't earn a master's degree. And I talked to her the other day. She's in her 60s, and she's working on a Ph.D., and y'all, guess what? Edwina got a shout back. Y'all ain't listening to me. I, 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 if she was here today, she'd come on the stage. She would say, it's not easy. She would say, it's hard. She would say, it's challenging. She said, but I learned to leave the unanswered questions with the Lord. I, 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 I confessed my powerlessness. And I just, I just allowed him to just carry me through my wrestling moments. And, and she would say, I'm here today to confirm for you that God will carry you through. Well, I got to finish here. As I get out of here, uh, it was about a year, maybe two months. Sister Sally came. She sat in the same spot. But on this Sunday, I guess enough time had transpired. Enough healing had occurred. All I know is I saw her start shaking again. And the bench started to move. And then the next thing I know, she exploded and, and she shouted. And when, when she shouted, good God Almighty, we shouted. Come on now. The light coming. There's something about being in shared community. I, I, we grieve together and we celebrate together. Come on now. And when she shouted, we all shouted. So, so, so that's what the psalmist means when he says, and he will restore. Come on now. Shout restore. He will restore my soul. So I'm here to tell somebody you will shout again he will restore your soul just hang on in there amen amen and amen